When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I am your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I think I'm very ready. I'm very excited. Alright, let's give it a whirl! Okay, that sounds great. And I would like to take a moment to thank all of the people who listen to the show. Hello, Ireland. Hello, everyone all over the world and the United States and howdy, Texas. And we're very happy that you're there and you're listening. And we are going to bring you another really wonderful historical person today. Uh, yes, uh, thank you all so much to everyone uh, who has been listening and supporting. Uh, we've gotten uh, messages and donations from friends and uh, reviews out there. Uh, it all helps us uh, feel like uh, we're part of this community that is all uh, enjoying this little experiment together. And uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome. Uh, the way that we do things here is that uh, in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, now, you, the listening audience, already know who this person is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person. But, Mom, do you have any idea who we're going to be talking about today? No, I never know who we're talking about. I just wander around in the desert with no water, hoping I can get close to a cactus or something. And that's what makes such an interesting program. <laughs> uh, so uh, I will give her the uh, data necessary for her to create an astrological birth chart for our mystery history guest. That is the birth date, time, and location. Uh, she will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come out 
the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. Uh, she will then do her best to give a uh, blind reading of this chart, telling us what she can about the person's personality traits, uh, characteristics, motivations, fortunes of this mystery history guest. Uh, I'll ask a few discussion questions and then reveal to her who our uh, mystery history guest is and give a little background about the person. And then we'll come together at the end and uh, discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. So, without further ado, let us begin. Okay. Uh, this is a male. Yes. Uh, born on the 20th uh -huh. of September. Okay. 1822. All right. And I was not able to get a uh, birth time for this one, so I'll have to go with noon. Okay. All right, and where in the world? Uh, the United States. All right, and town? North Platte, Nebraska. There we go. So again, this is a male, born September 20th, 1822, near North Platte, Nebraska, in the United States. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay. Well, uh, this is about as splashy as you can get. I mean, this person basically has one planet in each house. Um, wow. Okay. With North Node and Aquarius in the second house at 15 degrees. But, again, we don't know for sure what this person's rising sign is. We're just going with Noon. So, with that in mind, either way, uh, no matter how you look at it, no matter what time this person was born, their chart would still be a splash chart with one or two of these planets in each one of the houses uh, where they are. We just don't know for sure where they are. Mm -hmm. um, noon, for this person, puts their rising sign at 10 degrees Sagittarius. I don't know if that sounds like this person to you or not. But um, this is what we have if we go with the birth time of noon. Um, let's go through the planets and see what we have here. We have sun at 27 degrees Virgo, moon at 28 degrees Scorpio, Mercury at 14 degrees Libra, Venus at 3 degrees Virgo, Mars at 12 degrees Scorpio, Jupiter at 6 degrees Gemini, Saturn at 9 degrees Taurus, Uranus at 3 degrees Capricorn, and Neptune conjunct that at 2 degrees Capricorn, Pluto at 29 degrees Pisces, North Node at 15 degrees Aquarius, and Chiron at 8 degrees Aries. So, um, let's just start with North Node in Aquarius. Uh, North Node in Aquarius is going to be a person who needs to work with groups of people, or they should be wanting to work with groups of people. If they were working with their South Node, it would be more about leading groups of people. In this situation, it's more about being 
a team member, a very important team member, or possibly working in humanitarian efforts, or um, working with technology, working with science, working with uh, futuristic things, uh, things that have to do with the future. Um, those are all North Node and Aquarius things, unless this person is a complete totalitarian, which would mean they were a dictator. And that would be their North Node, the dark side of Aquarius. Um, in this chart, if we go with noon, their ascendant is Sagittarius and they have Neptune and Uranus falling in that first house because I do Placidus houses. And if that is the case, then this person could be very gregarious, very uh, easy to... Um, like this person would be easy, kind of like, you know, like Dick Clark had Sagittarius rising, right? Um, so Sagittarian men can be very, uh, guy next door, very, uh, cordial, even polite. Um, they can also be super cool, like James Dean kind of behavior or appearance, uh, persona. But with this Neptune conjunct Uranus and Capricorn, if this does fall in their first house, it's going to make them more mysterious and have a lot of energy. Um, because Neptune is illusion and Uranus is electric energy, uh, une unexpected, um, situations, explosions, uh, lightning strikes, things like that. So this person could be, if they do have Sagittarius rising, they could be very dynamic and sort of, um, maybe even, hmm. well, it's kind of like, emphasized illusion, like, like energized illusion, like somehow they have this ability to energize an illusion, whether it, 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 even if they're not like, even if this is not Sagittarius rising, they would still have that ability to energize this illusion and sort of energize this illusion about Capricorn things, which is executive level work, corporations, government, um, all of these Saturn things. All right. So then if we're going with noon, this person has Capricorn on the second house. Uh, they don't have any planets in Capricorn, but by this chart, they have their North node in the second house, which would mean values and valuables and uh, things like this having to do with humanitarianism or future uh, future ways of looking at valuables or future ways of futuristic ways 
Um, third house cusp is Aquarius. There's nothing in the third house. Fourth house cusp is Pisces. And in this person's fourth house, we have, per this time of birth, Pluto and Chiron. Pluto at 29 degrees Pisces, which is right on the cusp of Pisces Aries. So no matter what time this person was born, they still have these planets, Pluto at 29 degrees Pisces and Chiron at 8 degrees Aries. Now, whether or not these fall in their fourth house, we don't know for sure. But Pluto at 29 degrees Pisces is on the cusp of Aries. So this person is going to have Plutonian behaviors that reflect Pisces and Aries. So uh, their power, their death and rebirth, their uh, secrets, their their um, psychic ability, all of these things that have to do with Pluto would be part of this illusion, okay, this, Neptun this Neptunian illusion, right? They have some kind of, again, power with illusion uh, because it's that 29 degrees Pisces, but... They also have these same powerful things with Mars, Aries things, because it's on the cusp of Pisces and Aries. But they, at the same time, have Chiron, the um, asteroid of Wounded Healer, conjunct this. So somehow... Maybe their power comes from loss or lessons learned early on and then healing through these lessons learned in Martian things. So mm, uh, passions and uh, determination, things like this that might have been overwhelming maybe early on now this person if they if they did overcome them which hopefully they did now this person is really good at this and helps heal other people in their maybe goal setting and 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 drive and how they're driven things like this okay then we have a uh, fifth house is ruled by aries but we do have Saturn and Taurus there. All right. So Saturn at nine degrees Taurus is just outside or just still in the cusp. So this person has Saturn in Taurus, which would make them uh, have lessons with Taurian things, um, money making and values and, 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 and uh, valuables and uh, luxury items, but they also have lessons with Martian things, uh, drive and, and war and, and uh, passion, um, uh, sex, uh, um, all of these things. 
And having Saturn in the fifth house is kind of like <laughs> having the person that you really did not want to invite to the party show up. Okay. So like, let's say you're having a party and you're like, under no circumstances, do we want Bob to be there? And Bob just hears about the party and assumes he's invited and shows up. And Bob is totally a wet blanket. Okay. Sorry for all the people named Bob. I don't mean you per se, but I'm just saying having Saturn in the fifth house is a little bit like that because Saturn is Ah, it takes a long time and it's lessons and it's like school and all of these things in the house that is ruled by the sun and Leo, which is supposed to be, you know, entertainment and children and um, romance and hobbies and all the fun things. Fifth house is all the fun things, right? But this person, if they have Sagittarius rising, which we don't know for sure. But if they did, that would be like having a real wet blanket come to the party. Then uh, sixth house is ruled by Taurus. And uh, in this reading, and this person has Jupiter at six degrees Gemini in the sixth house. So if this were their rising sign, then they should have very good luck with work and uh, things that have to do with work. If this is not their rising sign, then they still have excellent communication because uh, having Jupiter and Gemini makes it more. So Gemini is some technology and it's also communication. So wherever this Jupiter falls, they should have been a really good communicator, a very clear, very precise, uh, and maybe big, like a big... um orator, you know, like people, a lot of people would come to hear them speak about things. And then uh, seventh house cusp is Gemini in this chart. We don't have anything in that house. Eighth house cusp is Cancer. There's nothing in that house. Ninth house cusp is Leo. And we have Venus in Virgo uh, conjunct by sign sun in Virgo in the ninth house, if we're going by this birth time, um, no matter how you look at it, having sun conjunct Venus is going to be very good. Uh, that's a very good aspect for anyone to have sun conjunct Venus. It gives them, uh, a natural, um, appeal uh, makes them possibly handsome. We could make him handsome. It could also make him attractive to women. And it could make women important as far as whatever this person tries to do. Somehow women can help. Um, okay. Then we have 10th house cusp is... Virgo. And we have Mercury at 14 degrees Libra. If this were his real rising sign of Sag, it would put his Mercury in the 10th house. But no matter what, whether his Mercury is in the 10th house or not, he has Mercury in Libra, which would make this person very fair minded, very balanced in when they communicate 
Uh, it could make them an attorney. Um, they could have an interest in communicating about legal matters. Uh, they could be a sweet talker. <laughs> um, because Mercury ruled by Venus would be, um, kind of easy to listen to this person. Like, you know, they're not complicated. They are, you feel that you could trust them maybe. Uh, Mars and Scorpio at 12 degrees and in the, if it were this 11th house, which is ruled by, um, Libra, Mars and Scorpio gives you a very, um, interesting sexuality. You would be kind of sexy, uh, maybe good looking, maybe, um, a ladies man, uh, it makes you also maybe pursue, um, occult things or maybe, I mean, dark side, you could be like having affairs because that Mars and Scorpio is secret things. So maybe that, um, also you don't want to go up against this. You don't want to do this person wrong because they will annihilate you. Um, 12th house is ruled by Scorpio and we have the moon at 28 degrees Scorpio in the 12th house it, per this reading. No matter how you look at this, this person still has moon at 28 degrees Scorpio and that is conjunct their Mars by sign. Um, this person again has some, uh, I guess, beneficial aspects from women. There should have been some, if, if this is their rising sign, which it probably is not, but, uh, moon conjunct Mars by sign would be in, in Scorpio would give this person some understanding of women and closeness to the mother, I think. Is any of this making any sense? Yes. Oh, okay. That's always good. All right. Well, I've been all the way around the chart at this juncture with going with this rising sign of Saturn at 10 degrees. Um, do you have any questions? Yes. Um, so where uh, where would you find him in a uh, group project or on a team? Uh, what is he uh, going to be doing? Well, his north node is in Aquarius. So he might not necessarily be the leader of the group, although he might have assembled the group. But if he had north node in Leo then he would be the leader of the group. But in this situation, if he's following his North Node, he should be instigating humanitarian things or perhaps advising the group being a very good group member. If he's not following his North Node, he's leading the group. Um... 
So, uh, do you get any sense of whether this is a um, reactionary person or someone who is uh, going to be more involved in, in strategizing and thinking about things before they react? Well, when you think about reacting to something, you think about your Mars because that's your anger and how you deal with anger. Having Mars and Scorpio, Scorpios can be very reactionary. They, you know, a scorpion will just flip that tail and sting you, right? But a Scorpio does like to play the mind game, really. And they're so good at it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, they are to be revered. Um, and having Neptune and Uranus and Capricorn with that Mars and Scorpio, this person could seriously play the long game. Very uh, intricate uh, mind games of chess, you know? Uh, what is their relationship like with their father? The father, we go to the sun, which is at 27 degrees of Virgo. Um, well... The relationship is hard because we would go to the 10th house for that to see what was on the 10th house for the father, which is ruled by Saturn. But in this situation, we don't know what their rising sign is. So we're just going to go with the sun. The sun is in Virgo at 27 degrees, which is very close to the cusp of Libra. So the father might have been very um, analytical Maybe not so coachy cheerleader. You know what I mean? More interested in having this person be educated and proper and, you know, more, uh, less demonstrative, if that makes any sense. And what about the relationship with the mother? I, it seems that there should have been a really good relationship with the mother because we have Mars conjunct moon. Um, the dark side of that could be fighting with the mother, but I don't get that feeling because I feel like this sun conjunct Venus. I feel like women should have been an important aspect of this person's life, a good aspect. What is he looking for in a romantic partner? Again, it's really hard because I can't see what's on the seventh house. All right. But he does have Venus conjunct sun. So he's kind of looking for somebody that's like him, maybe. Uh, same interests. I mean, I know that a lot of people, I guess, have um, aspects to them where they're looking for someone who has differences, you know, more, more, they want more interesting things, but I would feel like this person with sun conjunct Venus in, in Virgo, he's looking for someone who is kind of analytical, kind of proper, kind of, uh, um, smart, educated, um, also this, uh, sun conjunct Venus and Virgo, the father could have had something to do with medical or healing. 
And this also is this Venus in Virgo. There could be an aspect of medical uh, research or uh, and, and, and healing. Um, um, how would this person do in a fight or a battle? Well, this person has Mars and Scorpio. And Scorpios are going to win. Uh, by hook or by crook. They're very competitive. It's different than Mars and Aries, which is going to lop off the heads of the people. Uh, Mars and Aries is going to win physically. They are going to outshout you. They're going to outfight you. They are going to win. But Mars and Scorpio is going to win by whatever means necessary. Meaning, if what is called for here is using your mind and using your intellect, then they'll use that. If what is called for here is to fight physically, then they'll use that. But they're going to win. Is this a person who could um, convince people of um, something? Is he a persuasive person? Yes, I would think that this person has a very, very good ability to speak to groups of people. This person has Mercury, Mercury trine Jupiter, Mercury in Libra trine Jupiter in Gemini, which is the ability, like almost a magical ability to speak and communicate, but in a very mm, Venusian way. So kind of being able to talk someone into something. And what is this person capable of if they felt uh, duped or betrayed? Uh, pretty much anything, because Mars and Scorpio doesn't like to be duped or betrayed. And that's pretty much the worst thing you could do to them is betray them. They don't do betrayal well at all. That's something you should never do to person with Scorpio placements. That's not good. Um, are there any other uh, first impressions or uh, things uh, you've gotten out of this chart so far? Well, this person, if they're not following their North Node, I find it very interesting because their North Node is trying their Jupiter and trying their Mercury. So somehow their North Node is completely backed by Jupiter and Mercury. So they should have been able to rally groups of people, hopefully in a positive way, because this could be a negative way. <laughs> like if this person is following the dark side of Aquarius and their totalitarian dictator, they also have the ability to lie with this Jupiter in, in Gemini and this Mercury in Libra and manipulate people greatly. So hopefully they were following the light side. Uh, are you ready for the summary of our findings? Yes. 
So the uh, first thing you said is that this person needs to work with groups of people. Uh, if they were following their south node, they would be the leader of groups of people. Following their north node, they would work within the group of people. Uh, humanitarian uh, things, technology, science uh, are all aspects of his north node. Uh, but the flip side of that is totalitarianism. Uh, he could be very gregarious, easygoing, cordial, polite, possibly very cool. Um, he could be mysterious uh, with a lot of energy. Unexpected situations, explosions, he could be dynamic. Um, there, he would have the ability to emphasize illusion. There is a, a way that he can energize illusion, uh, and that these might be connected to executive things, corporate things, government things. Um, there are future ways of looking at valuables. There is power, death and rebirth, and psychic energy connected to illusions and connected to war. Um, power comes from loss and healing with Martian things, um, passion uh, or war. Lessons with money-making and valuables. There are also lessons with drive, war, passion, and sex. Uh... I'm not exactly sure what this was all about, but you said he could be a wet blanket in the fifth house party. Um, yes. So there you are. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, he would have good luck with work. Uh, he would be excellent at communication, a good communicator, a big orator. Uh, there's a natural appeal to him. He'd be handsome. He'd be attractive to women. And women help him uh, in his goals. Uh, he would be fair-minded, uh, balanced in communication, uh, communicate about legal matters, a sweet talker. Um, people would trust him. He would be sexually attractive, a ladies' man. Um, there may be uh, some aspect in pursuing occult things or secret things. He could have affairs. Uh, you uh, would not want to do him wrong. Uh, he will annihilate those who he feels have done him wrong. Um, there is a beneficial aspect with women, uh, an understanding of women, and a closeness that he had with his mother. Uh, he might not be a, a leader, uh, but he would be the one who assembles a group of people, instigating humanitarian things. Um, he, uh, would be more of a team player and, uh, serve in advising a group of people. But if he was following the South Node, he would have to be the leader of people. Um, he is prone to, uh, reacting quickly, but, uh, he, uh, would also enjoy, uh, toying and playing, uh, mind games with his opponents. Uh, he is very capable of playing out a long-term strategy. Uh, his father might be more analytical, uh, not effusive uh, with praise, uh, not demonstrative. Uh, he would have a good relationship with his mother, and women play a positive aspect in his life. Uh, for a romantic partner, he'd be looking for a like-minded person, uh, someone who might be analytical, intelligent, and proper. Uh, his father may have some dealings with healing or medicine. 
uh, he would be very competitive. He would want to win by whatever means necessary. Uh, no matter what, he will win. Uh, a very persuasive person, a good talker. There's a magical way of communicating with people. Uh, betrayal is the worst thing an opponent could possibly do to this person. Uh, and he would be able to rally groups of people in uh, hopefully a positive way. Uh, is there anything that I left out? Well, I want to address the fifth house, Saturn in the fifth house. If we did know that this was for sure this person's rising sign was Sagittarius and this person had Saturn in the fifth house, Saturn is like the dad. Okay. So like it would feel like your dad is sitting in your party and your dad is not cool. He's not a cool dad. <laughs> so having Saturn in the fifth house kind of is a wet blanket. So there's that. But um, yeah, I mean, maybe once I know, if I know this person, maybe we can get a better idea of what his rising sign might be. But um, in this situation, we're going with what we have. Uh, and we're just guessing that it's noon. But maybe if I know who it is, we might be able to maybe later uh, come back and play with some different um, rising signs for this person in another podcast, maybe. Okay. Um, are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? Yes. This is the astrological birth chart of the Oglala Lakota chief, Red Cloud. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow, very, very interesting. I look forward to hearing everything you have to say about Chief Red Cloud. Uh, so uh, Red Cloud is uh, one of the only chiefs who was able, really, uh, some have said that he is the only chief who successfully led a war against the United States Army. Um, he uh, achieved the goals of what he wanted with his battles. Up until the Battle of the Little Bighorn, which people can listen to our uh, episode on Custer uh, in our first season to find out more about that, um, the Red Cloud and uh, Fetterman's Massacre uh, was uh, the most overwhelming victory Native Americans had ever had against the U.S. Army, and Red Cloud wow. was the chief um, who instigated and strategized uh, that whole affair. Um, Red Cloud's war uh, really opened the eyes of uh, the United States Army to what uh, the Lakota and the Cheyenne uh, and the Arapaho were capable of, um, because he completely transformed how they were going to fight a war and completely reworked the strategy behind it. Uh, so, um, Red Cloud, uh, was born, uh, in September of 1822, uh, somewhere east of North Platte, uh, Nebraska. Uh, his mother, uh, was uh, from the Oglala band of the, of the Lakota. Uh, her name was Walks as She Thinks. And, uh, his father, uh, was from the Brule band, and, uh, he was known as Lone Man. Um, they, reason that he got the name Red Cloud was that uh, very 
close to the time that he was born, there was a meteor shower uh, that went over the tribe, and Lone Man uh, was out there watching uh, the streaks of red as they lit up the clouds uh, as these meteors uh, fell uh, to the sky. And in order to uh, appease uh, the great father, uh, he uh, named the child that was born just a few days after Red Cloud, uh, after this event. Um, Lone Man uh, was... uh, fell victim to what a lot of um, Native Americans uh, fell victim to uh, uh, of this time, and, and that was alcoholism. Um, by 1825, uh, he had passed away uh, from uh, alcoholism. Um, and uh, the Brule band no longer wanted to uh, accept uh, walks, as she thinks, in Red Cloud. And so she went back to uh, her family, which was in uh, the Oglala band of the Lakota. And there, um, uh, Red Cloud found some very positive uh, male uh, role models. Uh, so uh, his, his uncle... Uh, or walks as she thinks his uh, brother uh, was the chief uh, of this band. Uh, so he was called Old Smoke. And then uh, he had another brother uh, who was called Whitehawk. And uh, these two really represented the two um, ways of, of how chiefs would uh, operate in these tribes. Old Smoke was a very good peacetime chief. Uh, he was very good at trading and diplomacy and uh, how do you take care of the band and uh, during uh, uh, you know problems in the buffalo hunt and these sort of things, White Hawk was on the other end. He was a military chief. He knew how to strike uh, against uh, the Pawnee and the Crow and uh, how to uh, get retribution for wrongs that had been done against uh, the uh, band. And uh, Red Cloud learned from both of them. Um, and he learned very quickly. He uh, uh, learned how to be one of the best uh, horse riders, one of the best hunters of the buffalo. Uh, he uh, learned uh, shooting and riding. Uh, it was said uh, that, especially of the Oglala, that they could fire um, six arrows in the time that it would take one uh, American soldier to load and uh, fire their musket. Um, wow. It was said that they were so fast with their arrows uh, that they could uh, fire 10 arrows and have all 10 still be in the air uh, while uh, they were uh, in battle. Um, By uh, the time he was a teenager, he was well over six feet tall. He was very strong and a young and fierce warrior uh, and very daring. Uh, During uh, one of his first battles uh, against the Pawnee, at the age of 16 at at one of these raids, uh, he uh, took his first scalp, and he did so by uh, the Pawnee warrior was drowning in the river, and he went into the river and got them out and then killed him on the banks of the river and took his scalp. He was known as someone who was very fierce and ruthless. Um, Yeah. Later on, uh, between his teens and 20s, his uncle Whitehawk, who had taught him all of the military aspects uh, of the tribe, uh, passed away, and Red Cloud took his position as the uh, war chief uh, or the uh, main uh, war instigator uh, for the tribe. 
And uh, by the 1840s, he had uh, killed one of the other rivals uh, in uh, the other band uh, of Lakota. And uh, so he was known as the war chief, as one of the uh, most powerful warriors of the Oglala. And that was the Oglala was the biggest band of the Lakota. Uh, All this by his early 20s. Um, Now... He, uh, uh, getting back to uh, uh, the the different bands of the Lakota, uh, so uh, his mother was Oglala, but he was born to his father, a lone man who was a brule. Uh, and because of this, the Oglala did not treat him as being completely within their tribe. Uh, so if he wanted to progress in uh, the tribe leadership and eventually become chief of all the Oglala, um, he saw the best way of doing this was through marriage. Uh, so uh, the... Uh, Oglala believed in uh, that you could have multiple wives uh, as long as you could afford to take care of all of them, um, which uh, I suppose isn't that much too different from what we do today. Um, but, uh, so, uh, you could have <laughs> multiple wives, um, but the first one that you married would always be the most important. So this was a very mm-hmm. important decision for him. He was desperately in love with, uh, a young, a woman named Pineleaf. Uh, but Pineleaf came from a very common family. Uh, and so he didn't see if he married her as that being a great step. It wouldn't work in his plan of um, becoming a leader in the tribe. Uh, on the other hand, there was another woman named Pretty Owl, who was one of uh, uh, the elites uh, or from an elite family, uh, a, a, um, a, a, a prestigious family uh, in the band. And so what he decided is that he would marry Pretty Owl first, and then uh, for a second wife, he would take the woman who he uh, really loved, Pineleaf. Uh, this way, uh, he would uh, uh, keep climbing the ladder within the tribe. Uh, so there was a uh, two-day celebration uh, of uh, the marriage of this great uh, warrior, uh, Red Cloud, uh, to Pretty Owl. And uh, Pineleaf could be seen very distraught. She was very sad that um, Red Cloud had gotten married to some other woman. And uh, all this time, Red Cloud said that he was going to try and get away and try and explain things to her. What his plan was, that he did love her very uh, deeply, but um, that this was just going to be better for everyone, for him to uh, rise the ranks. Uh, But that opportunity never came. And so uh, at the end of the second day, uh, Red Cloud and Pretty Owl go to their uh, uh, honeymoon. Uh, And then uh, the next morning, uh, Red Cloud steps out and he's uh, gathering wood for the fire. And uh, he sees in one of the trees that uh, (gasps) Pineleaf has hung herself. Oh, no. Um. This was a, a, a very traumatic experience uh, for Red Cloud, um, but uh, as with uh, all things in the lifestyle of the uh, Lakota, uh, very quickly they had to move on to keep following the uh, buffalo, and he had to put that part of his life uh, behind him. Wow. Uh, while all this is going on uh, in the United States, on the uh, 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 American uh, side of things in terms of people who are from the United States. Um, 
the lands of California and Oregon have uh, are recently becoming part of uh, America, and so people from the east need to go out there, and so they develop the Oregon Trail. Uh, and the Oregon Trail cut through uh, the plains, and uh, this was the ancestral home of the Lakota and the um, uh, uh, different bands of the uh, of the Sioux and Cheyenne. And the Oregon Trail literally cut through this land. The wagons created these huge divots in the land, and uh, the um, Americans who are going out there um, were not prepared for the the great American desert, as it was called. And that's just the prairies part uh, of this land, just miles and miles of expanse with no shade, no water, no relief. And these American families had brought with them their heirlooms, their grandfather clocks, their pianos, that they were just chucking out of these wagons all along this mm. trail. There's debris. And along with this, the Americans would go out and they would hunt and uh, they would hunt the buffalo and some of it it was for their food but some of it was just for sport and they would just leave Mm -hmm. the bodies of these buffalo uh, out rotting uh, in the uh, field and to the the uh, Lakota, to the Oglala, to uh, all of these uh, Native Americans, uh, this was horrific. Um, yes. The the buffalo was uh, their entire way of life. Uh, it was mm-hmm. the clothes that they wore, the food that they ate. It was the tools that they made. Um, I I I think. Similarly, or the only comparison I I could bring to try and and uh, get us to wrap our minds around it today is oil that um mm. today we we do fight wars over oil um because mm. oil makes the fuel for our cars it makes the uh, uh our tools it makes clothes it makes everything in our life pretty much mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and this was the same for uh the lakota uh that to see this being wet and and but there was a spiritual connection to it as well that if you were going to kill this great animal this great spirit mm-hmm. that you had to use it all up and provide life for others um mm-hmm. and these americans who are going through and just wasting it um it, it was uh horrific to them uh so uh they wanted to do uh, something to prevent all of these Americans from crossing across the plains and killing the buffalo and uh, uh, wreaking havoc um, as they were on the uh, Oregon Trail. And uh, so they started uh, having raids on these travelers who were going through, which caused the U.S. to bring the military out and try and establish forts to protect the travelers and uh, to fight off uh, the uh, Plains Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, in 1851, uh, the U.S. Army decided they would try and make a treaty somehow to uh, convince the travelers not to um, harm uh, the lands and harm uh, the animals along the plains and uh, convince the uh, Lakota and other plains Indians not to attack the travelers. They did this at Fort Laramie. And so this is the first Fort Laramie Treaty in 1851. And Red Cloud was there. Uh, Red Cloud, along with Sitting Bull and uh, other uh, great leaders, uh, were all there to, uh, what they t- talked about, touching the pin, because they could not write for themselves. So they would touch their the, the pin, and then uh, the army officer would uh, secure their name to this. And this was uh, all set and good, because, um, at least in the U.S. Army's mind, because they had got this all written out in the uh, proper way of, this is how the lands will be distributed, and these are the lands that the travelers cannot 
not go into, and these are the ones that are safe for travelers to go through. Um, but it, it did not take into account that this was fundamentally uh, not comprehensible to these Native Americans. They had completely different mindsets as to how land was used. The the, the uh, Lakota could not say that they owned any land. No one can own land. It was just unfathomable to them. So mm-hmm. to try and put a boundary on a map and say that that is where they are and that that land belongs to them, well, that didn't make any sense. And they also tried to tell them that they need to come up with one leader, one leader who could negotiate uh, with the great father in the East, meaning the president, uh, over these matters. And that also was uh, uncomprehensible. All of these bands uh, would have their own separate leaders, and there was no one person who could speak for all of their uh, kind. Um, mm-hmm. But th- they decided that uh, uh, that this would be the- fine, that this Fort Laramie Treaty would, would uh, 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 make things to where they would stop attacking the travelers. Um, mm-hmm. But as the U.S. Army started to can build their forts and they would go in and start attacking uh, villages and they would start uh, going through and um, uh, taking lands that were not part of this treaty. And uh, the Lakota and the Cheyenne, the Arapaho uh, started to have, you know, uh, uh, massacres against their people. And so they decided they would fight back. And so they started fighting back the soldiers. And then they went back to fighting the travelers themselves, because that's where this is all starting from. If these people weren't moving out west, none of this would be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they continued to try and go back and forth between treaties and uh, fighting again and the U.S. Army breaking its side and then the uh, Lakota breaking their side. Because now that the buffalo were starting to get smaller and smaller in population, they had to go outside the bounds of their original boundaries, which they really mm-hmm. didn't understand what they were signing up for anyway to try and find Mm -hmm. buffalo to survive uh and so um you get through all these different conflicts and i'm kind of skipping over bits of this because i mean you could teach entire courses just about this um but by the time of the civil war um the u.s army had pulled a lot of its troops to fight confederacy uh and then they all started to come back at the end so around 1864 and 1865 uh you get uh all of these new u.s uh, army troops coming back into the plains and they are uh trying to uh establish this safe route of passage for these travelers uh so uh, uh, this, uh, a lot of things start to come to head in November of 1864. Uh, in, uh, the, uh, southern part of Colorado, uh, there is an army, uh, officer by the, uh, name of John Chivington, and he led the, uh, third cavalry into a village. And the village consisted of Cheyenne and Arapaho. And the chief, a uh, black kettle, uh, who was there had just gotten checked through the, f- the fort, uh, it, that said that it was okay for him to be there there. And they said uh, that as long as you fly the American flag and a white flag above your tent, uh, then you will be safe. And now, uh, in November, the 3rd Cavalry starts uh, uh, rushing into the village and Black Kettle is distraught and he's pointing to the flag saying this is, he's trying to explain to them and the right. the, the, the people in the Cavalry uh, are not listening, they don't pay attention, and they just go through and they kill whoever's there. <sighs> Most of the uh, war 
warriors were gone. So most of the people mm. in the village were elderly and women and children. And there were over 150 uh, that, that were killed. Mm. Uh, so uh, this caused uh, the Arapaho and the Cheyenne that were there, whatever survivors were left, started to go up north. And uh, they eventually found a Red Clouds band. And they told him of this. And mm-hmm. he was already angry at the army for all of the other transgressions that had happened. But this, which was mm-hmm. called the Sand Creek Massacre of 1864, really pushed it over the edge. Um, that this was, this was nowhere near what... Uh, uh, was acceptable in in terms of war on his end, um, uh, uh, and the the U.S. Army actually mutilated these bodies just the same as Native Americans would too. Mm-hmm. Um, so this really brought things to a head. And so getting into uh, 1865, uh, he starts developing his strategy of how he's going to combat this. On top of that, he is in uh, what is called the Powder River Valley. Uh, so uh, that is sort of this area uh, of uh, Montana and Wyoming, and uh, it is close to uh, the um, Black Hills, which is the uh, ancestral home and the sacred home uh, to all of these people. And uh, what has now happened is that gold has been discovered in Montana. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so they uh, develop this uh, offshoot of the Oregon Trail to go north into Montana called the Bozeman Trail. Uh, and it passes right through Red Cloud's uh, uh, the the hunting grounds. And so he sees what has already happened along the Oregon Trail, and he does not want that to happen along uh, the uh, in the Powder River. And so uh, uh, the U.S. Army starts to... Uh, put more um, troops into uh, this area, and they decide that they want to make uh, more forts along uh, the Bozeman Trail to protect all of the miners who are going into Montana. And they invite uh, uh, all of the uh, tribes, the uh, the uh, Oglala and all of the Lakota and the Cheyenne and Arapaho, mm-hmm. to come to Fort Laramie again. And this is in 1865. Mm-hmm. And uh, Red Cloud comes because also part of him is he wants this peace. He wants mm-hmm. he doesn't really want this war. He wants to find some agreement. But the only mm-hmm. thing that he would agree to is to have no one go through this trail and have no mm-hmm. army presence here. And mm-hmm. he says, we have signed these deals before and we have touched uh, the pin yes. and you have broken this. And mm-hmm. so we can no longer abide by this. You have to clear out of, of these hunting grounds. And while mm-hmm. he is saying this, news comes uh, that uh, the 18th Cavalry is coming through uh, and they are going to uh, build uh, three forts in the Powder River mm-hmm. Valley. And... uh, uh Red Cloud hears of this and he stays just long enough to watch and and to survey and to scout what now he's inside the fort so he can see what these people have what supplies are left what's going to happen and then he goes off in a in a fury and he he leaves and brings all of his people with him Mm-hmm. And then uh, he uh, brings together one of the hugest uh, uh, groups of uh, all of these uh, warriors, and he uh, sets them up, uh, uh, and they have this whole tent village, and he tells them they are going to wage war like they have never done before, um, that mm-hmm. 
historically, uh, traditionally, uh, there was a fighting season uh, because uh, your whole life, again, revolves around the buffalo. So when it is wintertime, it is too cold to be hunting. It's too cold to be fighting as well. Um, mm-hmm. you, when you're up in Montana, it can you have blizzards. And so you just need to huddle in your villages. Um, and then uh, you get into the early spring and you might have a little bit of a fighting season, but then you have to go find the buffalo and you have to go and uh, get all of the meat from the hunt. The summer is mm-hmm. going to be the main time that you can uh, go on your wars and your fights. And then mm-hmm. you have a little part in the fall where the buffalo come back and you hunt a little bit more. You stock up to survive through the winter. He says, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to fight them. Uh, we're going to fight them right after the buffalo hunt. We're going to fight them all through the summer and then when they're huddled up in their forts we're going to fight them in the winter time too and uh he uh creates uh, all of these new ways of of being covert and stealthy in uh fighting uh the u.s uh cavalry uh so uh trying to dr- he knows that if you go up and try and fight them in the fort uh, they will survive. The fort will will still stand. You have to try and draw them out of the fort, uh, and then you attack them. Uh, and at times, uh, there are skirmishes that start to happen where uh, the men are able to, the cavalry uh, is able to uh, form skirmish lines, uh, and they're able to fight people off from a, a distance, but then they go through the tall grasses and they dig trenches uh, to get all the way up to where uh, these skirmish lines are, and then the uh, uh, Red Cloud and his warriors would pop up out of nowhere and go through and kill all of the people who were outside of the fort. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, this is called Red Cloud's War, and the whole point of it is to try and get uh, the U.S. Army out of the uh, Black Powder River Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, This uh, uh, all starts to really build up uh, through 1865 and then getting into 1866. Um, there is a fort that has been established called uh, Fort Phil Kearney. Uh, there's a man named Carrington who is uh, in charge of this fort, and he was uh, involved in the Civil War, but more of a, a desk officer, more of a pencil per- pusher. So he's trying to prove himself, but he's also smart about logistics and things, and he knows that it is not smart to go outside of the fort. The best thing to do <laughs> is to stay inside the fort. Um, uh, especially since they need that they're in the prairies. So they need wood to build the fort. So they have to send people away from the fort to go to the forest, to get the logs, to bring them back to the plains and build this fort. And that is when Red Cloud starts attacking these people mm-hmm. and he attacks them. Uh, he knows don't attack them uh, in the middle of the day when they're working. They still have energy. Mm-hmm. Then attack them in the very early part of the morning when they're still asleep mm-hmm. and attack them mm-hmm. in the late afternoon when they're uh, uh, exhausted from all the work that they've mm-hmm. been doing. And uh, so Carrington sees all this. And so he's very hesitant to uh, attack Red Cloud and his men uh, without more troops. Uh, and then uh, more troops start to come in. Uh, so and they are led by uh, Grummond and Brown. And he comes in with very ill-experienced, very ill-prepared infantry troops and a few cavalry troops. Uh, These infantry troops are so ill-prepared, they are still carrying old-style single-shot muzzle loaders. Remember, Mm. back before, I said these 
uh, uh, Lakota can fire six arrows in the time that it would mm-hmm. take one man to load his uh, muzzle loader once. And we're in the late 1860s. You, the, repeating rifles exist at this point. There are Henry rifles uh, that can fire seven shots uh, uh, at one time or, 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 or repeating, uh, which that gives you some parody with uh, the Plains Indians uh, to have six arrows and seven shots, uh, but to have just muzzle loaders, that's the, the it, it was if they went outside the fort, they were sure to die. Um, but Grummond is very upset with the way that um, Carrington has been operating. Uh, things are not going fast enough. You need to take this war to them. Um, and uh, uh, he's just a complete hothead uh, about all of this. And so uh, come uh, December of 1866, there have already been plenty of skirmishes. There have been people, civilians, uh, who have been uh, uh, trying to take shelter inside the fort because they've been attacked so many times uh, by Red Cloud uh, and and his mm-hmm. tribe. Uh, and uh, some of them, they don't even have room in the fort anymore. So they have to go outside mm-hmm. the fort and create little tent cities. Uh, and some of them are miners. And some of them are just completely inexperienced. One of them is a photographer who wants to take mm-hmm. grand uh, photographs, the first of the planes. And um, uh, so uh, uh, they uh, all circle around the fort. Some of them have shelter inside the fort. Um, and then some of them just start going out. The photographer is one of them. Uh, he goes out and he's going to just go out and take these great pictures of these grand vistas. Uh, well, he comes back to the fort and uh, with no head. Uh, uh, they have decapitated him. The others who go out, uh, come back mutilated, uh, their bodies completely, uh, taken apart. Um, mm. uh, so these are all, you know, uh, 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 symbols and signals that that red cloud mm-hmm. is sending do not go out mm-hmm. of that fort and he's mm-hmm. not letting the supply lines come in he is strategically trying to starve them inside their mm-hmm. fort mm-hmm. so eventually uh, they they still need wood to build more forts so they keep sending these guys out to go find the forest and go cut down the logs uh, so in december 21st of 1866 which is again the winter this is the winter solstice this is mm-hmm. not a time when uh indians are usually fighting um but they uh so they think it might be safe to go out there and try and cut down wood uh so the uh wood uh, uh, the guys trying to bring back the wood uh, uh, are out there, and then they start getting attacked by a small force uh, of uh, the uh, Lakota and Arapaho. Uh, and uh, the guys at the Signal Corps can see this, so they signal to the fort, hey, we need to get some people out there to uh, save these guys that, with the wagons. And uh, so they uh, signal to the fort, and uh, they have no idea that just on the other that this is not the fighting force. This is the decoy that just beyond mm-hmm. the ridge is over one thousand five hundred warriors ready to strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, they get uh, uh, a, a guy named Captain Fetterman, who is supposed to be this other great American uh, 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 captain. He is uh, set up to be the next commander of the fort, uh, and so he's eager to go out there and, and fight the Indians on their own uh, turf. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out with a company. He has uh, about uh, uh, 50 uh, or so men. And then uh, the, the the hothead, the other guy, Drummond and Brown, uh, they bring the cavalry. They have about 
27. They're going to go out there and save uh, the wagon. And uh, as they leave, uh, the commander of the fort says, whatever you do, do not go beyond the ridge. Uh, You must Mm -hmm. go save the wagon and come right back to the fort. Well, as soon Mm -hmm. as they get out of the fort, the signal corps signals with flags that the wagons are saved. Uh, They're good. Uh, There's no longer an attack on them. Uh, And so now uh, you have uh, these infantry who, again, carrying single-shot muskets, and then you have the cavalry, and now they don't know what their orders are supposed to be. Should they go and check up on the wagon? Should they go back to the fort? Q, at this time, Crazy Horse, an American horse, are up on the ridge, and they're taunting them, yips and yaps, trying to get them to come over, come over the, the ridge, come and take us. And uh, so the cavalry goes and they go and they cross that ridge (laughs) and the infantry is left and they hear all the whoops and hollers and the shots. And they think, well, we better go over there now, too, and we better go and save um, uh, the cavalry. And uh, so uh, Fetterman goes over the ridge and he sees 1,500 warriors just absolutely mm-hmm. laying into uh, the cavalry. Um, and uh, it, it is, it's termed a massacre. This was, it's called Fetterman's Massacre. It is mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the uh, most uh, 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 brutal victories on the hand of the Lakota. Um, and really uh, what is known as one of the greatest victories of the Indians against the U.S. Army. Uh, mm-hmm. There And they, again, completely mutilated the bodies. Um, there were uh, observers from the fort who went out later on. They said that all they could see was some of uh, the Indians left and uh, what they thought were white logs. And that was actually mm-hmm. the bodies of uh, these soldiers. Uh, there was only uh, one uh, soldier that they uh, allowed that they did not touch his body. Uh, they killed him in, in battle, um, but he fought so bravely. And that was a, a German immigrant named uh, Adolf Metzger, and uh, he was the bugle player. Uh, he didn't even really have anything to fight with, and in fact was fighting them with his bugle. And oh, no. uh, the uh, Lakota saw such bravery in him for doing so that they did not touch his body, and they just covered him up with a buffalo robe uh, after mm-hmm. the battle was done. Uh, so uh, this uh, was one of the most profound embarrassments for the uh, U.S. Army. And uh, in just two years, uh, they came to the negotiating table with Red Cloud and they gave him everything that he wanted. The the forts uh, were uh, disbanded. The, the All the troops were brought out. Uh, no one was allowed to go on the Bozeman Trail anymore. Now, a large part of this is because the Transcontinental Railroad had been completed and now they could have a spur of a railroad which went through a completely different part of the land and could go and get that gold in Montana. But still, uh, because of Red Cloud, these uh, uh, forts uh, were uh, disbanded uh, and uh, uh, Red Cloud and his warriors went through and destroyed whatever was left of the forts so that no other soldiers could come back. So he actually Mm -hmm. won his war. And many Mm -hmm. scholars say he is the only uh, Native American to actually win, achieve everything that he wanted to as a part of his war. Um, Mm -hmm. but that was not a victory that was uh, meant 
to, to last. Eventually, a Red Cloud and his band of the Oglala would be taken into the reservation, um, and uh, he would become uh, known, he already was to uh, the Oglala, known as a great speaker and a great orator, but uh, he would go through uh, to America, and he would try and negotiate with the president um, uh, uh, to try and, and get better accommodations, try and uh, explain to Americans uh, in the United States what had happened, what all this was, because they were getting in their, uh, uh, in their newspapers what had happened, but that was completely one-sided. A lot of times, mm-hmm. whenever uh, the, the whites and the uh, U.S. soldiers uh, were attacked and killed, that was a massacre. But whenever uh, the Native Americans were attacked and killed, that was a battle. Uh, so it didn't matter w- how uh, big the stakes were or, you know, how many times American uh, soldiers had gone in and killed women and children. That was a battle. But when uh, white soldiers were killed, that was a massacre. And uh, the the he he uh, there there's one part of one speech that he gave in 1870. He was in New York City trying to uh, um, communicate with uh, Americans about what had happened and how we have to do something different and we can't be killing each other like this. And uh, I want to read just part of this speech. He says, uh, look at me. I am poor and naked, but I am the chief of the nation. We do not want riches. We do not ask for riches, but we want our children properly trained and brought up. We look to you for your sympathy. Our riches will do us no good. We cannot take away into the other world anything we have. We want to have love and peace. We would like to know why commissioners are sent out there to do nothing but rob us and get the riches of this world away from us. Um, He... uh, was able to do some good uh, out this try out of this try and uh, communicate what he could, but uh, it was all set and done by this point by the 1870s and especially getting into the 80s and 90s. Um, the 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 Native American population be decimated a lot because of the buffalo that um, the uh, not only soldiers but uh, regular civilians would go out and just massacre uh, buffalo uh, by the hundreds, drive them off of cliffs. Um, they would have special trains that would go out uh, stocked with hunters uh, to just uh, shoot uh, 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 hundreds of buffalo at a time. All of them just left to die. The buffalo were completely almost extinct. And once they did that, um, the uh, these Plains Indians, uh, they had no more life. They had no more livelihood. They had to go to the reservations. And uh, that is where Red Cloud would eventually go. And he'd become a a great leader uh, from within uh, the reservations and do what he could to try and um, uh, ameliorate the the lives of his people. Um, He gave another great speech, uh, which I, I... it's too uh, much to try and go into now, but after the the great massacre at Wounded Knee, talking about um, the things had to change within the reservations, but they ultimately wouldn't, and um, uh, he would uh, uh, die. Uh, He made it all the way to the 20th century in 1909, but uh, always uh, remembered and known as one of the uh, greatest uh, of the the Oglala warriors and and one of the greatest uh, warriors uh, the Lakota had ever known. Wow. That is an amazing, amazing story. It's gut-wrenching and heartbreaking, 
And I think that we need to know more of this information, Chandler, because, I mean, everything we learn in school is so skimmed over and it seems so biased, but the research that you've done has offered this amazing story and this amazing man fighting for his people and doing the best he could to try to make peace. But when you're dealing with this kind of force that we deal with everywhere in the world, even now, um, it's just, I, I hope I would like it very much if more people knew who he was. And so by you bringing this to everyone's attention and all of our listeners, maybe they'll share this podcast and more people can learn about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, and, you know, I, I would love to talk about uh, more specifically in the context of our podcast, but he was the only one that I could actually find a date for. And to be honest, I'm not exactly sure how accurate that date was. But I will say that a lot of his personality traits are represented in this chart. I think that um, he definitely uh, was a, a, a person that you did not want to betray. You did not want to... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 you didn't want to betray him or or or, or dupe him. Um, he was very competitive. He was a person uh, who, uh, what uh, you know, when you, when we talked about how would he do it, was he reactionary or would he think about things? I mean, he was clearly mm-hmm. a great uh, strategy person, a person right. uh, who uh, was completely um, transformed the way his people fought. And mm-hmm. uh, then you look at you know as a leader, I mean. He was a leader when it came to times of war, but when it was not Mm -hmm. times of war, he would kind of take a step back and let the Mm -hmm. peacetime people take care of uh, those situations. So um, I I, but when he was a leader, he definitely was thinking of new things and um, uh, new ways of of going about it. So uh, I think there are uh, many things that are are, uh, represented in his life. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I think that um, listening to some of these aspects that you've given for um, his first real love to have hung herself, that's very significant and would have some Plutonian aspects, possibly putting his Venus into the eighth house or something along that line, which would change his rising sign. Also knowing that his father was an alcoholic and drank himself to death, that could put that into the 12th house, which would be Neptunian, you know, uh, karma there. Uh, But it also could be Pluto, 8th house maybe, because of, um, you know, eighth house ruled by Pluto, death and rebirth. But having both of those be in the eighth house is also possible because the sun and Venus both in the eighth house. So interesting observation and possibilities as far as what his rising sign could have been and where his planets would have fell, would have fallen into these houses. But also, like, if you don't know for sure if this is his his exact birthday, 
I would assume it is in this vicinity. I'm assuming that he would know approximately, you know, when he was born, you know? I I think that I, I'm not exactly sh- sure where this date came from. I just I've I've seen it a couple of times and I think what happened was they figured out when the meteor shower was and oh, put his yeah. his birth date around there because uh, there would be a completely different way of con- conceptualizing time and the, the seasons and all of that and how that would translate which is why it's so hard to you know if i wanted to do sitting bull or i wanted to do quanta mm-hmm. parker um those uh there was no major meteorological event that we could point to and then, you know, try and get anywhere close to what their date was. I just think that mm-hmm. they had a different way of uh, relating themselves within time. Um, but I was able to find this date for Red Cloud. Well, that's true. And if the if the story is true, which it sounds like it would be true, then we're within, you know, three days before... Or th- um, we're like three days ish yes. after this meteor shower. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is an amazing story, Chandler. Uh, are there uh, any other things about the uh, chart that uh, make more sense now that you know who it is? Well, it all makes sense. Uh, everything that I spoke of made sense to you know now hearing the story i just think that we might be off on the rising sign but that's not going to change most of what i said you know where the planets fall and what signs they fall in that's not ever going to change and the way that his chart is going to be a splash chart no matter what that's not going to change so we're pretty close we just don't know for sure what the rising sign is uh, well, uh, I think on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this is uh, pretty close to right on the money. This is um, <laughs> uh, as close as we can, given all the circumstances. Mm-hmm. But I think that there definitely are a lot of things that, that bear out in uh, who he was and what he did. Mm-hmm. I think so. I agree. Very good choice, Chandler. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening and uh, supporting. If you'd like to uh, reach out and uh, talk to us, uh, we have uh, all of our social media links and our email uh, posted in the uh, episode description. Uh, we've been uh, getting lots of uh, great messages and uh, uh, good uh, messages of support from uh, people from all over. And uh, we really appreciate that. It helps us uh, keep things going. Uh, We also have a link there uh, to our PayPal account, and uh, every little donation, every little bit helps us in uh, creating a better quality show, getting better equipment, and uh, growing the show uh, with uh, advertisements. So uh, if uh, you uh, could leave a little bit there, that would uh, very much help us. And uh, if you are interested in uh, getting your uh, chart read and becoming uh, your own Mystery History guest, uh, then uh, we have the uh, option for you. Uh, So you can uh, reach out and uh, email uh, Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com and uh, mom will be uh, happy to uh, walk with you uh, the details of how that would happen. Uh, Mom, is there uh, anything else that uh, you'd like to add? 
Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone. And I'm really enjoying chatting with um, all the different people who are interested in having their natal chart done and also their transits and different aspects. We might get to a place where we have like a Patreon or something where some people actually agree to allow me to post their reading that they had done um, anonymously, of course, but uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying um, uh, chatting with uh, all the different listeners. Thank you so much for uh, contacting me. Yes. Uh, again, thank you all so much to uh, everyone that we know and everyone that we don't know who are uh, supporting and uh, uh, liking the show. Uh, I'd also like to encourage you, if you do like what you hear and you're listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, please give us a uh, rating. You know, this is a podcast all about stars, so five stars would uh, help us greatly and uh, leaving a review uh, would uh, very much help. And uh, of course, uh, just word of mouth telling your friends, all of that would be greatly appreciated. And as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.